happens. You know, teacher, I got to do this part. How many of you, when you see the genealogy sections in the Bible, typically skip them? Thank you for your honesty. Only in Chronicles. Isn't that the entire book? Anyway, um, no, it isn't. But um, so I actually realized that anytime I've gotten to preach around Christmas, I typically skip the genealogies, which are included for a reason. And they're actually a huge blessing to me, not that I understand every name and how it correlates, but I'm just going to point out a few things that I've found to be a complete blessing in the genealogies of Christ. Um, and because this confused me for most of my life, you guys probably already know this, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you in case you've ever wondered like I did for the first 30 some years of my life. The genealogies in Matthew and the genealogy in Luke don't match up exactly. And there's a great reason for that. In Matthew, that is the lineage of Joseph, right? In Luke, it's the lineage of Mary. Both come from David's line. And before you get weirded out about that, but you probably won't anyway, if you've read the Old Testament, you kind of get a little more comfortable with that whole thing. Anyway, but if that weirds you out, the closest I think they could have been related is eighth cousin, four times removed. So they're not that closely related. And that really depends on whether it's the same. Uh, oh, goodness, which one was it? There are names that repeat later on in both genealogies, but that would make them eighth cousin with some removals. But um, they're related back to David. They're both from David's line because the Messiah was promised to be through David's line. The reason it says Joseph and Luke is because he's the head of the household. It counts him, even though he's the son-in-law. Feel free to argue with me about that. I am regurgitating what smart men have told me. I do not, I, I wasn't there. So I have to base what I know off of people that have studied very, very hard. And if you find a teacher you can trust, sometimes you just go the leap of faith with them because it makes so much sense when they explain it to you that way. As long as it doesn't conflict with the word of God, I would say there's a reason why God has allowed some people to be great teachers. Anyhow, but what I would like to point out from Jesus' genealogy are just a few names that I find fascinating that they're included in the lineage of Christ. So I'm going to actually be from Matthew, and I'm going to read some of this, because Matthew starts from Abraham. Luke goes all the way back to Adam. But because we know the lineage is the same until David, that this is also the lineage of Joseph that's included in Luke as well, going back from Adam. Adam was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Now, I can stop right there. Um, so already in the lineage of Christ, you have Abraham, which is not unexpected. I've talked a great deal about Abraham. And Jacob, Jacob liked to cheat people initially. 
However, God did use him mightily. Jacob was the father of Judah. Now, out of Jacob's sons, for some reason, unless we're intentional and we study, we have a tendency to feel that Joseph is the son of promise. Now, he did he did preserve life. So, yes, in a way, the line of Christ actually goes through Judah, which was an older brother. Judah actually had a fairly scandalous story in the Bible. where he uh, accidentally impregnated his daughter-in-law, Tamar. Now, Judah and Tamar's son, Perez, is included in the lineage of Christ. Now, some of you might be like, why is he bringing this up? And I'll tell you why. Because as I say, Sunday after Sunday, I do not believe that God has plan B's. God knows what we're up to. He doesn't have to scurry and come up with a plan B. God can make beauty out of our mess. We are great at creating messes as human beings. That isn't a license to sin, though. Please don't mishear me. But all of that baggage you're so ashamed of, and all of those sins that God has forgiven that you're so ashamed of, God can still use those. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amminadab. And Amminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Solomon. Solomon, the father of Boaz. This is another interesting one. We know the name Boaz from the book of Ruth, correct? Yes. Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? Again, teacher moment. Rahab, show of hands. Who knows Rahab? Thank you. Rahab is the prostitute from Jericho that saved the lives of the spies and then was welcomed into the community. Also in the lineage of Christ. I just want to put that out there. And what I also find fascinating is that when one of the descendants of the incestuous relationship of Lot and his daughters, a Moabitess, also in the lineage of Christ, a Moabitess named Ruth, her husband dies and she becomes very faithful to her mother-in-law and goes back to her homeland. The man that takes mercy on this outsider and provides for her and accepts her Part of that reason could be who his mother was. Putting that out there. So Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. It goes on from there. But just in the first six verses of the lineage of Christ, in or well, the first five, really, um, when it actually gets into the lineage of Jesus in the book of Matthew, I've already pulled out some colorful stories, haven't I? And I'm going to come back to this in a moment, 
But I want you to think about something. All of these names, all of these incredibly flawed human beings were essential to bringing the coming Messiah. And I see a parallel, which I'll harp on more in a minute. Because if you look around this room, don't look too hard, someone will get offended. You'll see a bunch of flawed human beings. Some of us incredibly flawed human beings. Some of you are better at hiding your flaws, but you're still flawed. And we're responsible for bringing the Messiah to people. Now, that was very moralistic and tied up in a nice tight package. But it doesn't make it any less true. That isn't my whole point this morning, but I want you to recall that at some point because it's very it's very catchy and inspiring thought, isn't it? You are responsible to bring Christ to people. Not because you're perfect. You're not even good. I'm sorry. You're not. Were Santa really making a list and checking it twice? He wouldn't have to check it twice. It's all of us. We are naughty. If you didn't follow me there, bless you. On with verse uh, 6. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. It continues, doesn't it? Out of all of David's wives, because he had a few, right? Out of all of David's wives, the son, the one that was able to build the temple, also in Christ's lineage here, is the son of another man's wife and his father. Now, she did become his wife. And this is another example to me of how God does things exactly the opposite of how we would expect. If you were going to write a fictional narrative about the Savior of all creation coming down, you would probably make his genealogy special you would make his genealogy kind of pristine. You'd church it up a bit. But no. We have a, a Savior. We have God incarnate. We have God himself coming down in the most impossible and undesirable ways. Now, this scandalous lineage doesn't necessarily make Jesus unique in the fact that David is very celebrated in the Jewish community. He was a great king. But he wasn't the Messiah. Solomon fathered Rehoboam. Rehoboam fathered Abijah. Abijah fathered Asa. And I know I probably just said Abijah wrong there. Asa, father Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, Joram, the father of Uzzah, 
Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. So, I also enjoy that it tells us when the family went into exile. Plugs it right into the history. After the exile, Jeconiah was the father of Shetiel. Shetiel was the father of Zerubbabel. And these are the two names. Shetiel and Zerubbabel are the names that appear in both lineages. But I don't know how common in names those were back then. It doesn't seem like they could have been, but I know a lot of fellows named John. I suppose it's possible at a time in history there could have been a, fellow, a lot of fellows walking around named Zerubbabel. I don't know. But I assume they're the same because it's one after another. And then the name changes which is, I would assume, based off what I've already said about Luke and Matthew's lineages, is that would be where a son-in-law was listed for one of them and a son was listed for the other one because the family branches out again. Which, again, I'm trying not to be too nerdy at the moment, but I was breaking it down, like really breaking it down to the point where I feel that I lost the forest for the trees. So after the exile of Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abidahud, goodness, Abidahud the father of Elikim, Elikim the father of Azer, Azer the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Achim, Achim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eliezer, Eliezer the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. Mary was the mother of Jesus, who was called the Messiah. So, something that I think is really important to remember is, although I think we all agree that Joseph wasn't Jesus's father, we're all in cahoots there, I hope wasn't actually biologically his father, correct? Yeah, he wasn't. Okay. Since we're all in agreement about that, why was it so important to include that his lineage was also in the line of David? I think it's important because people are people and they've always been people, right? For starters, who would be the assumed father of Jesus? Well, Joseph, who raised Jesus? Joseph, who taught Jesus a trade? Joseph. It's very important that Joseph is the right person as well. And it's obvious why Mary's lineage would be included, because she is the mother of Jesus. She's biologically involved here. And even though some of the writings of Menno Simons may argue with that, I still maintain that biologically she was involved here.
In Jewish culture, it's incredibly important that you're able to prove who you are. It's important that you can tell everyone who begat whom for you to show up. Because it tells people that you really are Jewish. You are one of God's chosen people. And it's been that way, as far as I know, since the beginning of being Jewish. Being able to establish that you are Jewish is important. For practicing Jewish people, I know some of them have the name Bar in their name, which means son of. So whenever you see someone like Simon Bar Jonas, it means Simon the son of Jonas. I mean, other cultures have done things similar. Um, like when our family came to America, the guy whose name was Johan had some sons that came to America. And like a third of the country, they're like, oh, Johnson. No, Johan's son. His sibling was Johan's daughter. It's a lot of cultures do that. They establish who you are. Some cultures are a little more proud of their heritage. Others, it just seems to be something you can write on the form so you can get your driver's license without people looking at you strangely for only having one name. But out of this, really from the, the exile, you don't really see any names that reappear in the Bible. You've got a lot of people. There's a silent period in Scripture. And that's kind of echoed when you, we study the genealogy of Christ. That silent period in writing kind of falls with a lot of these names. I do want to just share the last little bit, verse 37 of, of Luke 3. Because from Abraham, because Luke 3 is actually in reverse. It starts with Jesus. Matthew ends with the birth of Christ. Luke starts there and then he goes in reverse. But I love how it ends. Because it, it takes the whole family all the way back, but just starting at verse 37 so that I don't uh, harp on this too much. The son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalil, the son of Canaan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Takes it all the way back to Adam. And you'll notice Jesus is sometimes referred to as the second Adam in Scripture and the son of God. Adam's the only other person referred to in Scripture as the Son of God. So, was that as scary as you were expecting? Is everyone still awake? Okay. I don't really feel adequate as a as a bible scholar to really delve into chronicles yet um at least not from up here but i do want to harp on the uh, an idea that is a huge blessing to me is when i look at this rogues gallery of old testament characters starting for me at judah because Judah almost seems like a, like a bad guy. 
And when I look at righteous Lot, who I have a hard time viewing that way, though Scripture calls him righteous Lot. And when I look at Rahab, whose profession alone is scandalous. And when you look at the commandment not to mix with other tribes, but there you have Ruth, the Moabitess. When I look through this lineage, I feel blessed. I don't know if you do or not. When I see the other misfits, those other people that clearly are unworthy to bring forth a Messiah, when I see their names, it makes me happy because I know that my name is like theirs. I have done nothing special for God to decide that I am worth saving. I have done nothing. Nothing. I have done everything to ensure that I deserve a nice warm seat in hell. By my own works, that is every bit what I will always deserve. But by the grace of God, through Jesus Christ, he calls me a friend and he calls me a son. He calls me into obedience, which is so important. When I am talking about how encouraging I find these flawed individuals, it isn't because that's a license to continue on in sin. It just shows me that us flawed, sinful by nature creatures can be a part of something that really glorifies the Father and brings forth the word of God to people, shows people the Messiah. If I was going to show people Jesus, I can't continue on in my sins. That shows people nothing. That shows people nothing. I can call myself a Christian all day long, but if my actions don't show it, what good is it? All I did was inoculate people to Christians. I gave them a little dosage of something that was Christian-like, so now they're less likely to catch it. I think it's actually far more dangerous to be a wishy-washy Christian than it is to be an atheist. It's more dangerous for the people around you. There's gravity to what we do. We don't become an eternal being when we die. You are an eternal being right now. You just happen to be in a beautiful meat casing. Eternity's already happened. It's already happening. We're in it. You don't become a spiritual being when you die. You are a spiritual being. You don't do anything with your body that your soul checked out to do. If we're going to bring forward the Messiah, as I feel like this inspires me in that way, I'm like, all these misfits brought the Messiah. Now us, a bunch of misfits can bring, a, bring forward the Messiah to people. See that nice little package I tied up in the beginning? Still there. But it's a lot more difficult because it requires the scariest word in the English language. Are you ready for it? Obedience. The word just grates you when you hear it. Yeah, it does. My father-in-law's favorite hymn, Trust and Obey. What number is that? 
211. Okay. But that's really what God is calling us to, is obedience. That is the... That's the big scary word. Is God calling us to righteousness? Yes. How, how do we get to righteousness? Through obedience. Is God calling us to be sanctified? Yes. How? Through obedience. Is God calling us to fall in love with his son, Jesus, God incarnate? Yes. And how do we do that? We're obedient to the call. I'm telling you, obedience. And it is the scariest word ever because it requires that you do something. In fact, that you do many things. And the most interesting thing, when you accept a free salvation of Jesus, all you have to do is die. We never present the gospel that way for some reason. You just have to die to yourself and decide I'm living for Christ, which will be better anyway, but it isn't as selfish. It just acknowledges the fact of something you knew from the moment you were born. I don't know how to do anything. And the longer you live, the more clear it becomes that I really never knew how to do anything. I was born a blank slate that didn't know how to do anything. I could cry. I can still cry. I was a kid, not very good at stuff, really uncoordinated. I didn't know how to do anything. When I was a teenager, I knew how to do everything. Everything. I knew better than everybody else. And do you know why I thought that? Because I didn't know anything. I knew nothing. I thought I was a pretty good guitar player. You know, the more guitar I learned, the more I realized I don't know anything. I really don't. I'm right now. Stupid example. Right now, I've been playing guitar for 20-some years. Twenty. I don't want to actually admit that. I've been playing guitar for a very long time. I'm just now figuring out time signatures. I know, for people that grew up singing hymns, that probably sounds really backwards. I can't, I can't practically read music either. I'm getting to that now because I realize that I can't grow until I learn something. Some of us have been going to church our entire lives, and we don't know much. And why is that? Because he thought you knew everything. I know like three things for certain. Everything else I got to hold with an open hand. If I base everything I know on the presupposition that this is the Word of God, this is the divine and inspired Word of God. That's one of the things I know. I believe in Jesus. And I believe in the Trinity. Everything else I believe is based on those presuppositions. And i got to hold them with an open hand. I don't know much, but I feel so good about it. Because the things that truly matter are found in Jesus, and they point to Jesus, and they reflect Jesus. And how do I learn those things? Through obedience. It's not just for dogs anymore. Never was, actually. But 
You say obedience, you think of two things, getting spanked or where you sent your dog that was bad. Am I, am I wrong? Are those the two things that come to mind when you hear the word obedience? Like I remember when my mother taught me to be obedience when, obedient when I was a kid. It was awful. Not really. You were awful. You might have been cute, but you were awful. That's why you were disciplined. Sometimes we confuse cute with good. Which could also explain our divorce rates as well. Sometimes we confuse cute with good, and it isn't true. It isn't true. When you look at that precious in the image of God child, you know that they're wonderful and they're valuable beyond belief, but not because they're good. And I don't know when we start looking at people as being less than that. Do you think God loves you less as you grow older? Why do we value people less as they grow older? It's weird. Anyhow, if you can do so without pain, would you please stand with me? <clears throat> Father God, I thank you again for your scriptures, Lord. Father, I pray that the words of your scriptures would resonate with people. Anything that I said of value, Lord, I pray that people would be able to discern from anything that I said that may have been wrong. Father God, I pray that you would continue to instruct me, that I would be more obedient to you. I pray that you would forgive me for my disobedience. Father God, I pray that you would draw us together as a community, a forgiving and loving community. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. At this time, that brings us to announcements, prayer, and sharing, which uh, will be led by Wendy Jones. And um, just really quickly, is someone available to unlock the church tomorrow for the blood drive in the morning? Don't all jump at once. Rob's in Lancaster. He usually does it. Is anyone with a key available? Thank you so much. I appreciate that.